you turn with me in the scriptures to Genesis chapter 49, the passage that we're dealing with? Genesis chapter 49, beginning at verse 22. And then in a moment, we're, this is the blessing on Joseph. Now, last week, uh, Pastor Amanda dealt with, uh, with Naphtali, and she had a little one-liner, and she said something along the line of, maybe Jacob was getting tired with all these sons and had very little to say. Well, I got news for you. He is re-energized when Joseph enters the room and stands at his bedside, and he's got a few things to say to Joseph, and we'll deal with that uh, tonight. Verse 22, Genesis 49. This is Jacob's blessing on Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of the heavens above, blessings of the deep that lies below, blessings of the breast and womb. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the aged old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. The word of the Lord from Genesis 49. And then if you would turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 33, page 328 in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 33, beginning at verse 13. And this is then the blessing of Moses. Page 328, Deuteronomy 33, beginning at verse 13. About Joseph, he said, may the Lord bless his land with the precious dew from heaven above and with the deep waters that lie below, with the best the sun brings forth and the finest the moon can yield with the choicest gifts of the ancient mountains and the fruitfulness of the everlasting hills, with the blessed gifts of the earth and its fullness and the favor of him who dwelt in the burning bush. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. In majesty, he's like a firstborn bull. His horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them he will gore the nations, even those at the ends of the earth. Such are the ten thousands of Ephraim, such are the thousands of Manasseh. The word of the Lord. Now, if you keep your finger in Genesis 49, in that particular passage, we're going to be going through all of that. Joseph certainly uh, trusted in God and was greatly blessed by the Lord. And when you start this kind of a series of sermons that we've been busy with since, well, I think this is uh, probably 12 weeks ago when we started. We had a break in there for the long weekends or so. We've been at this for a little while. And once you start, of course, you can't stop. You have to keep going through the whole thing. And so because we have our community care group Sunday, next Sunday evening, we're not dealing with Benjamin, but poor Benjamin is going to have to wait until the following 
Sunday, uh, 27th of September, as we end with him. And Jacob has a little bit less to say about Benjamin than he does about Joseph. So tonight, Joseph. Brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the remarkable things about the people that populate uh, the globe is that like snowflakes of winter, no two people are alike. Maybe that's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. There may be many similarities in terms of culture or physical features or whatever, yet everyone is different. And when we think in terms of families, we see the same sort of thing. No two families are alike. And even beyond that, when we look at individual families and the children in those families, then we see that even though children may have the same parents and the same upbringing and they may have some things in common, nonetheless, brothers and sisters can be so different one from another. It's one of the wonders of creation, diversity and color. And one of the neat things about being a parent, at least I think so, is watching your children grow and develop so differently one from another and find their own place in life. And in spite of, and because children are so different one from another, parents also have this different way of reacting to the differences in them and to them. Well, Father Jacob, as we've discovered, had 12 sons who, as we've noted, were all very different one from another. And some of the sons caused the father much grief. Others brought him great joy. But no son brought him more joy than his son Joseph, the firstborn of his beloved wife, Rachel. So far we've dealt with all the sons of Leah, with the sons of the, of the servants, Bilhah and Zilpah, and now suddenly toward the end, finally Jacob gets to Joseph, to the two boys born of Rachel. Jacob had worked for Uncle Laban for 14 years just to have Rachel for his wife, and then he had endured the, for the infertility and the pleading on Rachel's part for a child by him. He had to endure the unhappiness of his family, sparked by that ongoing feud between Rachel and Leah. And finally, after many, many years, the Bible tells us in Genesis 30, verse 22, God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. And she became pregnant, and Joseph was born. Jacob's 11th son, Rachel's first. And what a joy must have filled Rachel when she discovered that she was expecting. Finally, God had answered her prayer. Finally, the days of waiting for, were over. And when Joseph was born, Rachel said, God has taken away my disgrace. And she felt that she was disgraced, because to be unable to, be, to bear children was considered disgraceful for any woman, partly, I suppose, because being married meant somehow that you could not fulfill one's womanhood. But among the Old Testament Jews, it was taken as a sign also that one had fallen out of favor with God. 
being barren somehow in their mind meant being fallen out of favor with God. And this was because every Jewish woman in the Old Testament longed to be the mother of the Messiah. They longed to have somehow a, a prominent role in the plan of salvation. And being barren meant that you could never ever fulfill such a role. The birth of Joseph removed Rachel from the ranks of the barren and in her mind endeared her to her husband even more than before. Once Joseph was born and named, Rachel is quoted as saying, may the Lord add another one, add to me another son, Genesis 30. Now that she had one son against Leah's six, she wanted another one. And Joseph's name means something like May he add. Genesis 37, verse 3, tells us that Joseph became Jacob's favorite son. Now, Israel, another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, the Bible tells us. In some ways, we can probably understand such a thing. Remember that Rachel was the woman Jacob really loved, even though he had sons by Leah and Bilhah and Zilpah. And no doubt, Rachel was one by whom Jacob wanted his children, but she was never able to have any. But now, after all these years of waiting, the woman he truly loved gave him a son, a son born in Jacob's old age. It must have seemed a little bit like a miracle to the couple. Jacob loved Joseph and protected him. And by all accounts, it seems as if indeed Joseph returned his father's love and his father's respect. And that's made quite clear by the events of Joseph's life. One only needs to think of Joseph, Joseph's question concerning the well-being of his father once he revealed himself to his brothers in Egypt. Well, what are we to say of Joseph? Of all the sons of Jacob, we perhaps know the most about this particular son. From the time of our youth, when we were very small, we heard the stories of Joseph, those fascinating stories of his getting the coat of many, many colors, of his being hated by his brothers and being sold into Egypt, of his eventually rising to second in command in Egypt and then saving his family and being reunited with his family. There's even a play about all that. Then there was, when it was Joseph's turn to come before the father for a blessing, the beloved, the favorite son, finally receives a rather lengthy blessing. And if we look at all the blessings or the words Jacob has given to his sons here in Genesis 49, it's not hard for us to see. You can just see it even just in the size of the print who the most prominent sons are. If you look at Genesis 49, there's two that jump out at you as receiving the most words. They're the most prominent, Judah and Joseph. And the reason for the prominence of these two sons is because to them was given the birthright, which had been forfeited by the unstable oldest son, Reuben. If you can remember that far back. We preached about Reuben a long time ago, but Reuben had been given Jacob's, had, had been Jacob's pride and joy. 
a son for whom Jacob had great expectations. As the firstborn son, Reuben was entitled to the top position among the brothers to literally take the place of father Jacob once the old man had died. And it would have been incumbent upon Reuben to carry on the family name and the line. Also as firstborn, particularly of a disliked wife, as Leah was, Deuteronomy 21, verse 15 and following, tells us that he was entitled to a double portion of his father's inheritance. So humanly speaking, Reuben had it made. But he failed miserably as the firstborn son. He didn't at all worthily fill his position and so his father made it rather clear that he had to suffer the consequences. He was stripped of his leadership role that was given to Judah, whose throne, whose leadership was established forever through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus from, was from among the descendants of Judah. Reuben was also stripped of his double inheritance. This inheritance went to the one whose name means May he add, and add the Lord did. It was given to Joseph. It's like the parable of the talents in the New Testament. Remember, Jesus told this parable. The one who had doubled his talents and brought back ten received also the talent of the one who had taken his talent, hidden it in a field, and then returned that single talent to the master without having done anything with it. So with Joseph, Joseph had shown himself to be a man of quite a different caliber and character than Reuben. Joseph was like the one who received five talents and then made ten. Whereas Reuben was like the one who received but one talent and hid it in the ground. And so because of his faithfulness, Joseph received from the Lord's hand what by rights should have gone to Reuben. And the double inheritance that Joseph received came through Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And we read about their blessings, the blessings to Manasseh and Ephraim, in Genesis 48. Joseph brought his two Egyptian-born sons to his father to be blessed. And in the granting of the blessing on the part of Jacob, Joseph's two sons were given an equal place among the other 11 tribes. And so when we consult the map, and so if we can put the map up for a moment, the map records the distribution of the land as recorded in the book of Joshua. We see that Ephraim and Manasseh's territories cover a vast piece of land in the center of Palestine and Manasseh's territory also spills out over into the land east of the Jordan River and east of the Sea of Galilee. You see Manasseh and Ephraim and East Manasseh, all that territory. And these two tribes are often referred to as the tribe of Joseph. And when you look at a color map of the land, divisions given to the 12 tribes, the prominence of Judah and Joseph, if you think of Joseph as being Ephraim and Manasseh and Judah, the prominence is striking. Joseph clearly did receive a double portion of the inheritance of Father Jacob. 
Actually, Jacob's whole life was one of being added to by the Lord, as his name suggests. Not only was he blessed numerically, but also spiritually. Of course, there was good reason why Joseph was so protected and blessed throughout his life, to the point that even he is viewed in the Bible as a type of Christ. He is a shadow, an image of the Messiah to come. And the reason that he was so blessed was because Joseph trusted in the Lord God of Israel, the God of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joseph was someone who remained true to his Creator and Lord through thick and thin. And even when everything seemed to be going wrong, he still trusted God. And now on his deathbed, Father Jacob, as he has a chance to look back over the events of the past years, and as he has a chance to see how God has led his son to save the rest of the family, and so the covenant line from destruction reveals the secret of Joseph's success, if you will, and blesses him. So look at Genesis 49, the passage we read, verses 22 and following. The comparison of Joseph to a fruitful vine in verse 22 is a reference to many descendants and to the double portion of the inheritance Joseph was to get through his two sons. He would be fruitful and multiply as a vine near a good stream grows and reaches over the wall around the garden. Verses 23 and 24 not only make a direct reference to Joseph's past, but they also anticipate his future and what his descendants would experience. Joseph is pictured as suffering all sorts of hostility. Those who attacked him seem to have or will do that with a certain degree of hatred and hostility. It is, says Jacob, as if Joseph has been shot by archers which is apparently a favored weapon of the warriors of Manasseh. And there's a number of instances in Joseph's life to which this may refer. Verses 23 and 24 make us think of the hatred of the brothers toward Joseph. Their hatred, or their hate, they hated their younger brother for his seemingly self-righteousness and for the fact that he was Jacob's favorite. They ended up selling Joseph into slavery, remember that? These verses also make us think of Joseph's experience at Potiphar's house. The wicked wife of his master made a pass at Joseph, but when Joseph refused to play along, she yelled rape, and the result was that Joseph ended up in prison. He experienced hostility. Again, he was shot at. And while he was in prison, he was forgotten by the ungrateful butler to whom he had been of service in interpreting his and the baker's dreams. And so for two long years, the butler didn't think of Joseph, and all along the line, Joseph suffered. Joseph was thereby again the target of hostility, the target of the archers, says Jacob metaphorically. But his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed limber. In other words, Joseph kept his integrity. He didn't crack. He trusted in his Lord, his Father in heaven. And when he was sold into Egypt, he didn't turn sour or revengeful. When he was reduced to a slave, he remained faithful and he worshiped the Lord. In temptation, he proved to be strong. While forgotten in prison, he remained patient and did not forget the Lord. Joseph's bow remained steady. The imagery is 
beautiful here. All throughout the trials in his life, Joseph remained faithful and obedient to the Lord. Father Jacob had no illusion about the strength of mere mortals, least of all his favorite son. And so he talks about that. Joseph's bow did not remain steady and his strong arms did not remain limber because Joseph was so strong in and of himself. No, Joseph was unmoved, he says in verses 24 and 25, because of the help or the working of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God, the rock of Israel, because of the Almighty. Joseph remained faithful because he was supported by the Lord God who cares for each and every one of his children. And referring to God as the rock is done more often in the Bible. Such a description talks about the immovable or the solid foundation upon which Israel, upon which all God's children can stand firm. And even in the New Testament, we are told that the one who builds his house on the rock stands secure against the storms of life. Now said Jacob, this great God, who is also your father's God, Joseph, he will help you. And he, verse 25, he blesses you with blessings of the heavens above, blessings of the deep that lies below, blessings of the breast and womb. Such language refers to the rivers and the dew, the streams of water that bubble out of the earth, the streams and the river, all the things necessary for watering and fertilizing the land to make it productive. And when the land is rich and fertile, it becomes a good place to live and to raise families. Many descendants will be born, and Joseph will be added to. Jacob then closed his words to Joseph with a desire in verse 26 that Joseph may be blessed far beyond that which he was to get from his parents. Look at verse 26. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. In all of that, Jacob recognized Joseph's position as ruler in Egypt. He saw how Joseph's dreams as a boy had been fulfilled, and so he recognized him in that sense as separate from his brothers. And he desired that Joseph, son of Rachel, should be added to. Oh, Joseph indeed received a rich blessing from his father, and God made it all come true through the fulfillment of the prophecies. But the thing that cannot help but catch our attention about Joseph and his life is his faithfulness to his God. And no doubt, as some of the songs we have already sung talk about it, no doubt the Lord blessed him for his faithfulness. And certainly Joseph's life bears that out. And the Lord used this faithful child to save his people from certain destruction in the famine. Joseph was open to the Lord's leading, trusting that the Lord would turn evil to good, trusting that the Lord would not forsake him. That's really how God wants us to live. 
as Joseph did, faithfully looking to our Father in heaven, allowing him to lead us and trusting that all that even if things seem to go sour here on earth and even if everything seems to go against us because of sickness or financial problems or poor crops or relationship breakups or whatever, he will see us through. And one day we will stand as amazed as Joseph must have stood amazed about how God led him. And when we live in such trust and in such a relationship with our Heavenly Father, then we're going to truly experience His blessing. In Proverbs 3, we started the service with that. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Jacob could have said those words to Joseph. The wise man built his house on the rock, and the house stood firm. Such are the promises of God. Now note that in all of this, nowhere are we told that there will be no storms, no difficulties, no trials. Joseph was never told that either. On the contrary, there may be many, as Joseph experienced. But the point is, through it all, God is always there. And everything is being shaped to fit his wonderful plan of salvation. We're called upon to trust him completely. And that's something that's really, really difficult to do. And I'll never forget the member of my congregation who told me, if you tell me one more time that I need to trust in the Lord, I'm going to throw a Psalter hymnal at you. Because it was really tough in her life. So many different things happened. And yet that's what God calls upon us to do. That's what's expected of us. Trust in the Lord. Because that's really ultimately where true blessing and true happiness lies. Joseph was a much-loved son. A son who brought his father much joy, both his earthly father and his heavenly father. His secret? He was faithful. He was obedient to his Lord. And he trusted the Lord. And the result was that the Lord used him mightily in his kingdom and in the plan of salvation. To God be the glory. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. A word that tells us about the lives of your children. Joseph trusted in you. And that's really what you call us to do as well. But we will confess, O oh Lord, that that is so, so tough. We know that that's where true blessedness and true happiness lies. But we are busy with so many things, and, and we're all about ourselves, and we're all about uh, making sure that, that we've got life together and that we're holding on and that we're in charge and that we're the decision makers. What an amazing story, this story of Joseph, that you used him in ways that he was amazed about. He must have been amazed about it. 
And yet you used him to carry on the covenant line and to carry on the plan of salvation. And in all of that, he is a type of Christ. Oh Lord, we pray that through the working of your Holy Spirit, in spite of what we experience in life, in spite of all of our difficulties and our frustrations, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would somehow allow us, through the work of your Holy Spirit, to cast our lives fully into your hands and to trust you, and then to stand back in amazement at how you work. O oh Lord, to you be the glory. Thank you for this day, for opportunities to worship with your people. And as we go from this place, dismiss us with your blessing, we pray, and allow us to walk into this week knowing that underneath are the everlasting arms. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.